And I want to start by saying that Jesus isn't your run-of-the-mill kind of bloke, is he? Um, even if you don't think he's anyone that special, you can't deny that. He's not your run-of-the-mill, because all of history is defined in terms of him, isn't it? We think about BC and AD, for example, before Christ and after death. Um, it's not like the uh, history is defined by Jacob Clark. It's not like before Clark and then after Dobson, for example, is it? It's about Jesus. Um, um, Jesus is different to us, isn't he? All of history is defined by him. Um, Jesus has loads of followers, doesn't he? All around the world. Apparently he's got about 2 billion followers in the world at the moment. How many followers have you got? Maybe a few hundred on Facebook. Jesus has billions. Jesus is And people, they sing songs about Jesus. We've done that this morning already, haven't we? How many songs have been written about you? John Ulley's got one song. <laughs> but only one. But Jesus, there are hundreds and thousands of songs all about him. I mean, Jesus is different to us. Um, I was uh, in London during the Olympics, and I went around the National Gallery with my dad, pretending to be enjoying it. Um, and two-thirds of all the paintings were of Jesus. Two-thirds of them. Um, and I didn't find any paintings there of me. Though oddly, one of the Marys in one of the pictures did look a bit like me, but that's, that's probably a story for another day. Um, Jesus is different to us, you know, whether it's songs or paintings, all about him. And Jesus, I reckon, even today, shapes the way people think about everything. Um, the start of science and healthcare and the abolition of slavery all came about because of what people thought about Jesus. Jesus is different to us. And many people say that Jesus is just a man. Um, what a man, even if he's just a man. What a man. Um, Jesus healed the sick, we're going to read about in the coming weeks. He calmed storms. And my question is, what have you ever done? Jesus is different to us, isn't he? He's different to us. And what makes Jesus so different? Um, I guess it's all the things I've talked about already, whether people have defined their lives by him, paintings about him, songs about him. Um, but I reckon it's even more fundamental than that. That's why he's different to us. He's different to us because of who he is. His identity family make him different to us. Jesus is different to us because he is the eternal son of God the Father. That's why he's so different to us. Jesus is different to us because he's God. And we're going to read right now in Luke chapter 3, in our groups, verses 21 and 22, uh, to show us that Jesus is, in fact, different to us. And what you've just read is one of the few moments in the Bible uh, where we get a direct word from God the Father. Um, he's in heaven. And it, his word here um, is extra special because it tells us about who Jesus really is. It reveals his true identity. And this is a real event that really happened, that was really witnessed. Um, it's talking to the real Jesus in real time, in real history. And what we get is what God the Father has always felt about God the Son, Jesus. I'm going to read it again to you because it's so monumental. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This is the highest praise possible. 
God the Father says, you are my son. Jesus here is declared to be God's son, his precious child. And let me just this doesn't mean that, that Jesus was somehow made or created by God, no. Jesus is the eternal son of God the Father. That means Jesus is God. That means that Jesus is God and therefore he's worthy of worship. why everyone sings songs about him, draw paintings about him, because he's different to us. He is God. He's the eternal son of the Father. But that's not all that the Father says about him. He says, you are my son, whom I love. God the Father declares publicly his love for the Son. Jesus is loved by the perfect love, the joyful, self-giving love of the Father. Uh, this is true of Jesus here, but it is true from eternity. Jesus is the eternally loved Son of the Father. Loved before the creation of the world. And so here you have a picture, a window into the amazing relationship God the Father has with God the Son. He loves him perfectly and deeply and has done for all eternity. It's perfect love. Jesus is different to us. The Father says. The Father says, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God the Father is totally delighted with Jesus. The Father looks at Jesus the way that any father looks at his son, and he just smiles in adoration at him. He's chuffed. He's well pleased. He's beaming from ear to ear about his son. And Jesus pleases his father so much, not just because he's his son. He delights to do what the father asks him to do. That's why he's on the earth in the first place. That's why in Smallbridge, looking at his, he came as a little baby. God the son, Jesus, was willing, happy to do that. And the father is totally chuffed that he has. He loves him. You see, Jesus perfectly pleases the Father, always. And God the Father is certain that Jesus is worth loving. That Jesus really is his eternal son. Jesus is perfect. And some of you here might be thinking, well, I'm not really sure about Jesus. But here we get a window from God the Father himself. And he is completely certain that Jesus is his son. His eternal son whom he loves and has always loved. And so if you're going to say that Jesus is just a man, then you're going to disagree with the God the Father. Now, I know who I'd rather trust. You see, Jesus really is God's eternal son, so he really is worthy of all worship, worthy of all praise, all adoration, all trust, and all love. To us. He's God. And maybe that makes us feel slightly distant from him. I mean, if he's God and I'm just little old me, um, what's he going to want to do with me? If Jesus is God and he's perfect, why would he want to know me? Because I'm not. Maybe it makes him seem unapproachable, impossible to know. Or he wouldn't really want anything to do with us. But Jesus isn't just different to us. Gloriously, gloriously he's like us. Um, So back in your groups...
um, because he's God. Jesus is different because he's God. But here we're going to see that Jesus actually is like us. He actually is like us. Now, in the Bible, you get quite a few um, lists of names. And they're not just in the Bible to bore us or for filler. They're really significant. Um, you'll see them in Genesis quite a bit. You'll see them in Kings and uh, Chronicles. And the whole point is connections and similarities and the stuff we've just been talking about. Um, they try to show us who is linked with who. And this genealogy, this list of, of names, is to show us that Jesus is connected with David, so he's God's kin. Uh, the list is also to show us um, that he's, he's in the line of David, so he truly is a kingly, kingly person. He's also linked with Abraham, you see that, a king name? Therefore he's linked with all God's people. But I reckon if the genealogy had stopped at Abraham, which it does in an the point would seem to be that Jesus is just for God's people. Um, but I don't know if you studied it in your small group this week, but um, the angels declare Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And so this genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. All the way back to him. Because Adam represents all humanity. And so the big point of this list is to show us that Jesus is for all humanity. It's come for everyone. Adam, because he's not only God, but he's truly human. He's a real man. He wasn't just some kind of spirit or ghost wandering around a couple of thousand years ago. Jesus is a real man with real flesh and real blood. That's why he can be for everyone. He really is like us. Jesus was a real man who experienced real pain, real joy, real sorrow, real temptations, real pleasures, real... Jesus is like us. That means he can understand us. And better than that, it gloriously means he can represent us. Now you're probably thinking, why do I need Jesus to represent us? Why do we need him to represent me? Well... The problem is with our first representative, Adam. And Adam is a bit like a representative of all humanity in the Garden of Eden. And um, I guess it's a bit like Elijah. Or it's a bit like your class reps at school who represent your whole form and your views to the, the staff at school. Or a bit like a flag bearer at the Olympics who represents all the athletes of that nation to the world. Um, Adam is the one who represents all humanity before God in the garden. That's what he's doing. And as you probably know, Adam did not do a very good job. Um, the first representative of the human race showed God that we don't care about him. And in fact, and he represented us. He showed God that we don't love him and we're not really bothered about him. That we don't return the love that God has for us back to him. And so Adam represented us badly, but I would say Adam represented us fairly, for we all would have done the same. But here we have Jesus, and Luke wants us to, to be sure that he is a new representative of the human race. Truly human. Just a second ago, is a bit like a, an anointing. And what would happen to kings and priests in the Old Testament was that they'd have oil poured down on their head as an anointing to show that they were specially chosen for the task. 
And Jesus here is specially chosen for the task of representing all humanity. Uh, Because a king and a priest in the Old Testament, their job was to represent to God the people. That was their job. They brought before God the people. And Jesus here is being set up in the same way. Representing all humanity before God. And he really can represent us because he's not just God, he's a real man. If he wasn't a man, he couldn't represent us fairly, could he? It would be like in the Old Testament, where they have a, a sheep represent a person. It's not quite the same. It doesn't, doesn't work, does it? Um, I don't know about you, but I, I loved watching the Olympics this year. Who watched Mo Farah win his goals? Yeah. That was one of the highlights for me. It was amazing. You just, I was watching it in the front room on a um, but the noise of the crowd seemed incredible. And we were shouting a lot in our front room. And, and the way it felt like his winning at that point was the most important thing in the world. Did anyone else feel that? Like you just had to win or my whole world would have been crushed. And we were cheering him on. And you see what was going on. Like, it was almost like Mo Farah was representing our whole country to the world. And we were desperate for him to win because we want Great Britain to rule the waves yet again. Like the glory days. Um, but our passage but with Jesus we're coming up to you now because the passage moves from Jesus' baptism to this long list of names so then we see Jesus in the desert with the devil we go from Adam hearing about him to being in the desert with the devil so we've got a massive link here haven't we devil, Adam we know what happened first time here we are Jesus in the desert with the devil what's going to happen and I'm going to read it out to us now. And my hope is that as I read it, it'll be a bit like watching Mo Farah in the Olympics, but only better. Because I think it's amazing. It's exciting. In the world, what happens here? Because if Jesus can succeed, it will make all the difference in the world. And, um, you know, I was cheering along, come on, Mo Farah, you can do it. And here we're going to cheer on Jesus and see if he can defeat the devil where previously all else failed. Uh, So just open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 and let me read out what happens with Jesus in the desert with the devil. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Returned from the Jordan was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him an instant. And the devil said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Concerning you, to guard you carefully, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus wins. Jesus succeeds where we all fail. He wins. He represents us and he wins. Jesus is here in the desert for 40 days. And if you're a bloke, if you haven't eaten anything for four hours, you know what that's like. I'm a complete wreck if I've not eaten food. Kathy moans about this quite a lot to me. Um, I just can't control myself. I just, I moan. I'm just, I'm all over the place. Jeez, 40 days without food. It's a real man. And the devil says, come on, it's time for some bread. It's time for some bread. And if it was me, I'd be like, if I could, I'd be like, yep, I'll turn all, the whole desert into bread so I could just sort of live on bread, eat constantly doesn't give in he succeeds where we fail he succeeds where i fail when it comes to temptation and next the devil offers him all the kingdoms of the world how attractive to be the ruler of the universe like he man i always want to be like him um, all the nations to love and adore him how amazing attractive offer all that glory and maybe some of you think, hasn't he, Jesus? What kind of an offer is that? Why is that tempting? Well, although Jesus has the praise of the nations, he only receives the praise of the nations after he goes to the cross. So do you see what the devil's offering him? He's saying, look, I'll give you an easy way, a shortcut to the praise of the nations. No cross, no pain. No suffering, the easy life, and all the glory. It's an agony we know that Jesus went through on the cross, both physical and being cut off from his Father who loves him. But he doesn't. Because to get that, he must worship the devil. He must bow down to him. He must replace God with someone else, just like Adam did. Adam in the garden replaced God with himself. But Jesus, even with this most tempting of offers, says no. I worship the Jesus succeeds where we fail. Jesus succeeds where I fail. I'm always tempted to replace God with myself or something else. And then that final temptation, just look at verse 9. This one's a bit trickier. And the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem, verse 9, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. Now, notice um, what the devil is questioning. He is really is God's Son. That's what he's questioning. And if Jesus throws himself off the temple, it would show... I think he didn't really trust his father's words. And let me explain. And God the Father has already said to Jesus, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. He's already said that. He doesn't need to prove God as his father by jumping off at the temple and being caught by the angels. He already knows his in fact, to jump off to be caught by the angels would say he didn't really trust his father and what he'd said. It'd be a bit like me um, taking you up to the top of the church tower over here 
and saying to you, now if you jump off, you'll break all your bones and it will hurt a lot. Now how do you demonstrate you trust my words at that point? You don't jump off and prove me true when you break all your bones. You trust my words, you accept what I say. You believe the voice of the word I've said. To doubt the words which the Father has said about him. To doubt the fact that he really is God's son. And I'm always tempted to do the same. I'm always tempted to doubt God's words about me. To doubt I really am his loved child. When he tells me I am in the gospel. I think I have to earn it or something. Or when God asks me to do something, I'm always tempted to doubt whether he's got my best interests at heart. And I cave in. But Jesus, he trusts the words of his father. So he doesn't throw himself off. He doesn't throw himself off. Jesus succeeds where we fail. Jesus succeeds where I fail. So Jesus here is the winner. He defeats the devil. He has the victory. He never gives in to temptation. He is the true and far better Adam. He's the perfect Adam. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. And because he's our representative, our victory, his perfect life can become our perfect life. His father can become our father. See, if we're certain, if we trust Jesus, then he can make us like him where we're different. That means that when the father says to Jesus, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased, if you trust Jesus, those words are for you as well. Trusted Jesus as their representative, you are my loved child. I love you very much and I am well pleased with you. That's what he says. And see, so what did we contribute to that? Nothing. But just as Mo Farah's victory in the Olympics felt like my victory over the nations, so is Jesus' victory. And his victory actually becomes mine as I trust him. And I get all the joy that comes from it. Because he's really human. If I trust him, God the Father says of me, little old me, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And if you trust Jesus, his victory is yours. And so the Father says of you, despite what you're actually like, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, with you I am well pleased good news of great joy for all people and that includes you Uh, so let me pray and then we'll have a chance to discuss some of that in groups let me pray heavenly father we're amazed at those words you say of your son jesus are words that you will say of us if we trust him i thank you so much that Jesus was truly human. And that through trusting in him, we know that the love you have for him is ours. Perfect love. 
at great cost to Jesus, but gloriously given to us. Uh, we thank you for it, and we praise you for it in his name. Amen. Great. Well, let's spend a... Uh...